Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Tuesday, August the 3rd, 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat, Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York and a report that finds he sexually harassed at least 11 women and created a hostile work environment. My question for you is, do you think he should be prosecuted? Do you think he should be impeached? Do you think he should resign now? I'll be talking in depth about what has been happening with this governor and provide some overview. Coming up next. This episode of The Politocrat contains descriptions and accounts that may be graphic for some listeners and may cause triggering as well. Listener discretion is advised. The independent investigation has concluded that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women and in doing so violated federal and state law. Specifically, the investigation found that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed current and former New York State employees by engaging in unwelcome and non-consensual touching and making numerous offensive comments of a suggestive and sexual nature that created a hostile work environment for women. The investigators independently corroborated and substantiated these facts through interviews and evidence, including contemporaneous notes and communications. This evidence will be made available to the public along with the report. Over the past several months, you have heard a number of complaints brought against me. I called for an independent review, and I said at the beginning I would let the process unfold. I didn't want anyone to say that I interfered. I said I would hold my tongue, and I have, making only limited comments. It has been a hard and a painful period for me and my family, especially as others feed ugly stories to the press. But I cooperated with the review, and I can now finally share the truth. My attorney, who is a non-political former federal prosecutor, has done a response to each allegation. And the facts are much different than what has been portrayed. That document is available on my website. If you are interested, please take the time to read the facts and decide for yourself. First, I want you to know directly from me that I never touched anyone inappropriately or made inappropriate sexual advances. I am 63 years old. I have lived my entire adult life in public view. That is just not who I am. And that's not who I have ever been. Well, I'm 13 years old and I have not lived my entire life in public view. And I'm not 13. 
What the hell does being 63 have to do with sexually harassing a woman? What does the age criteria have to do? Is there a particular age at which a harassment against a woman, sexual harassment of women stops? I mean, is there an age for a man in which that stops? Is it magical, mystical and majestical that once you hit 60, you no longer are capable of sexually harassing a woman if you're a man? I mean, what the fuck is Governor Cuomo even babbling on about there? I mean, that was one of the many things with that statement. And that's just a small portion of a 14 freaking minute statement by the governor of New York. I hope soon to be ex-governor. But the way he's digging in his heels now, it seems very much as if he's going to try to ride this out. The same way that someone like Ralph Northam, the Democratic governor of Virginia, rode out the allegations against him of being the rank racist that he certainly appeared to be in yearbook pictures in high school when he appeared in blackface and or in a clan hood, depending on which one you will want to take your pick on. I mean, clan hood or blackface, take your freaking pick. But this is just absolutely ridiculous. The governor of New York there, Andrew Cuomo, and before him, you heard from the New York State Attorney General, Tish James, and I guarantee you, had Tish James not been attorney general, as several people pointed out on Twitter today, this investigation would not have taken place. This investigation would have been swept under the rug. No one would have said a damn thing. And whether it was Eric Schneiderman, and I'll get to him in a few moments, or Elliot Spitzer, and I'll get to him in a few moments, or anyone else, that investigation would not have taken place. And uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to Attorney General of New York, Tish James, and to her investigative team who spent the last five months or so, five or six months, last five months or so, um, investigating this thoroughly. It was an independent investigation, and they found that Governor Cuomo sexually harassed women in his capacity as governor, women who worked for him, women who were on his security detail, women who were state troopers, I mean, in his office, everything. This is somebody who absolutely cannot keep himself to himself. And I'm going to also later on get to a whole theme of this. And this is not isolated to Governor Cuomo and it's not isolated to political parties. I will also get to that. So what I'm going to be doing, dear listener, and thank you for your continued loyalty and for listening to this podcast. Please spread the word about the Politocrat Daily Podcast to your friends and please subscribe. Also subscribe to the YouTube channel and you can search on YouTube for the Politocrat Daily Podcast and you'll get the channel. And also don't forget to patronize the shop, won't you please? It's the-politocrat.myshopify.com. More items are coming for the Summer Sensation series. I, I look, this is just this is this is I'm gonna go through all of this and there's a lot to get to, but I'm gonna really try to condense this because what we heard today and what you just heard there um was the thing that I've heard so many times over the last God knows how many decades when it comes to men in power. And the word power is the word that really needs to be used over and over and over and over and over again. Because quite frankly, in the things that I heard, and admittedly, I have only heard a few snippets here and there. I did not sit down out. It was 
didn't have the time to. I mean, I don't have that kind of luxury, quite frankly. But um, the what was going on in the snippets I heard, there were no mentions, at least enough mentions of the word power. Because that is the word that needs to be used here. Because that is the, the principle here. It is also misogyny that's at work here. It is also a patriarchy that is work here. And it's also toxic masculinity and a system at work here. And then I'm going to get to all of those things very shortly indeed. But Governor Cuomo has to go. I'm going to start by telling you that right now. And I think those of you who have seen my tweets on Twitter at the popcorn R-E-L and follow me there, will know that I was, have been very clear about this with not only Governor Cuomo, but anybody, whether it's Bill Clinton, Joe Biden, whether it's Bill Cosby or Harvey Weinstein, whether it is Dustin Hoffman or whether it is Kevin Spacey, I do not care who they are, what they look like, what political party they belong to. This is not a question of political parties. It's about right and wrong. And one of the things that I said on Twitter is that there are too many people who are silent and they are silent because, ooh, this is a Democrat and ooh, I'm a Democrat and ooh, I voted for him or ooh, I know him or ooh, I have access to him and I don't want to blow that. And it's like, that means that you don't really care about these kinds of issues. You're only conveniently standing on the side of women or men who get harassed like this or worse when the other guys are doing it, but when your side is doing it, you're quiet. And then those days have got to end. If you want to have a better world, you can't possibly be asking for that or demanding it when you're not even willing to freaking well look in the mirror or look at the people in the party you support who are doing all the things that you claim you want to change in this better world that you want. I think we've really got to look at ourselves, before we start pointing at other people, we have to start making it clear that what we want is a better world. And when you start with that, you cannot go any further until you start looking at yourself and asking yourself where you stand and can you improve who you are? Because you can point at one party on the political spectrum all day long, and they should be pointed at because they are disgusting. They are not the only party that engages in this. And it's not about parties. All of this tribalism, and I want to just get this off the table and out of the way right now. All of this tribalism contributes to keeping a system firmly in place. Red team, blue team, red team, blue team. This is the kind of toxic tribalism. That perpetuates the same system that keeps things as they are. And instead of looking at right and wrong, there are people out there who are looking at, ooh, this person is on my side, so I can't say anything. And that's pathetic. If you are allowing the lens that you look through to be governed by the words Republican and Democrat or conservative and labor rather than right and wrong, moral versus immoral, then you really do need to look at yourself and ask yourself, what are your values? Because that word is also a word that needs to be used more often in the discourse. The words power and values. Because what Governor Cuomo 
has done, because now, and I believe that he did this all along, and I believe the 11 women, and what Governor Cuomo has done in the investigation, independent, has come out and said the same exact thing in a 168-page report that has been publicly released. I'm going to be reading some excerpts from it. And as, I, as you may have heard the proviso at the start of this block, some of what I'm going to be reading, and you may find some of this to be triggering and distressing. So I want to, again, repeatedly mention this. But this is this is this is about values and power. And what Governor Cuomo did was all about power. Sex had nothing to do with this, nothing at all. It was about power. He did it because he could, because he wanted to, and because he knew in his mind that because he is the governor of the state of New York, he's really one of the most powerful governors in the entire country, by the way. That he felt that he was above the law and he could get away with it. Well, who's going to go after me? I'm the governor of the Empire State. Well, the Empire struck back today on Governor Andrew Cuomo, who is a bully, who, by the way, um, treated people in detention like garbage, has contempt for immigrants, took away Medicare benefits and Medicaid benefits from people. It's all documented. You can go look it up. I'm not making any of this up. This guy's a scumbag and he's a bully. And it's been well known for years that he's been a bully. This is his third term in office as New York governor. He's a moderate. He's somebody who um, behaved in a really disgusting way during the campaign when he was taking on Cynthia Nixon. And you know Cynthia Nixon. She, of course, of Sex and the City, but she's a political, I shouldn't say but. Um, she's always been someone who has been a political advocate, an activist, and I think ran a very good campaign. And the debate that they had, listen to the, you should have watched that debate again from a few years. I think it was 2018 or so, maybe 2019, 2017, 18 and 19, one of those three years. And he behaved so toxically on that debate stage. And you could just see him seething. And Cynthia Nixon challenged him over and over again. And all during this time, certainly in 2018 and 19, and into 2020, for God's sake, this guy was groping women and saying all of these inappropriate and harassing things to them, creating a hostile work environment. It's just absolutely despicable. And there's just no excuse for this. It's not justified. It's not even a question about excuses. But again, I, I don't want to sit here and make it seem as if this is some kind of aberration. This is not about political parties. I'm going to make that a clear again here. This is not about political parties. This is about men and how men behave who have power and men who don't have power, right? Who do the same kinds of things. And then they get thrown in prison, and rightly so, for what? An eternity? Which they should for this. And then the people in power who know better and know they can get away with it don't get anything. Quite frankly, this guy should be prosecuted for this. I am of the mind that this governor should be prosecuted. If it is possible for him to be prosecuted, and anything is 
possible, in quotes, then he should be. Will he be? No. And that's part of the problem too. And therein lies the system. Because the system protects people like Andrew Cuomo and Joe Biden and Donald Trump and Bill Cosby. And I can go and, and, and all the way down, right? This is really indicative of a system that allows men who are in power or powerful men who aren't in politics to be able to do whatever the fuck they want. And this has got to end. And the silence has got to end as well. I'm not talking about the women being silent who have been harassed or much worse. I'm talking about the people who see this all the time and only say something when Donald Trump's doing it, but then when Andrew Cuomo's doing things, they're not saying anything. Or when Al Franken's doing things, they're not saying anything. And then you got people trying to compare what Jeffrey Tubin has done with what Andrew Cuomo did. And it's just ridiculous. And this is part of the Mickey Mouse bullshit. Oh, let me just insert this comparison. And the thing is, each of these things is separate. This, this is not the time, ooh, well, this one over here and that. That we, we behave like children when we do that. And we fall into the damn trap. We fall into the damn trap. We fall into a sand trap when we start doing that nonsense. You can't be comparing this one and that one, that one and this one. Not in this particular context, you can't. And there's plenty of things, subject-wise, that we can go into comparisons on. But this is not the time and not the subject. The overarching thing that governs all of this is men in power and a system that protects them. And I know some people don't like that kind of talk. Ooh, the word system. Ooh, it's scary. Ooh, it's conspiratorial. Well, no, it's not conspiratorial. It's right in front of your face if you choose to look. Systems govern behaviors or at least set the strictures for them. Human beings do not act in a vacuum, right? There are these levers that come into play, offering consequences or freedom from them, depending on who you are and where you are and what your station in life is. It really is as simple as that. And when you are the governor of a state, and especially a state like New York, for God's sake, you have freaking power. And it will soup you up. You will absolutely think that you are the most incredible person on the planet short of the person in the White House. To be governor of New York State, that's basically being vice president of the country. Although vice president may be a thankless task for many people. I don't know what Vice President Harris thinks at this point about being vice president. I'm sure there will be a book and all at some point in her political career, but hopefully not just yet. Um, but, you know, I this is just something that you have to look at. Power, systems, and systems that allow men to get away with murder. Ted Kennedy, Chappaquiddick, 
I told you, I'm going to go through the whole blooming list and just the last 60 years. I'm not going back. I could go back a lot further than that. I'm only going to go to 1960. Or in Chappaquiddick's case, was that 68 or 69? Whenever that was in the late 60s. And Ted Kennedy, in my view, allowed someone to die. That is my view. You can agree with that. You can disagree with that. You can call me whatever. But this is what I think. And then within 11 freaking years, he ran for blooming president of the United States. Now, I would never personally do this, but God, you know, and I'm not in not American anyway. I wasn't born here. I was born in England. But could you imagine if I let a woman die and then you'd imagine what would freaking will happen to me? Oh, I want to run for president now. And I let a woman go to her watery grave and I run for president 11 years later. My ass wouldn't even get one signature, barely my own. I don't think my family, my parents would freaking sign that damn signature to get me in the running for a freaking... I, I mean, are you kidding? And that the arrogance, and that's what a system does. So Ted Kennedy, within 11 years or so, of Mary Jo Kopechny, drowning. Oh, oh, you know, I just get... He just runs for president like, and everybody forgets. Like nothing freaking happened. I mean, some people didn't forget. Guarantee that. The 1980 is very familiar. And I can tell you, some people did not forget and they never forgave him for it. And why should they? I mean, yes, the Lion of the Senate and all this. But my goodness me, people get lionized. And, you know, the, the Kennedys have all kinds of skeletons in their closets. JFK, RFK, I mean, all of that. I mean, please, camel up my ass. And again, if you really want a better country, then you have to start excavating all of this shit. Because it's going to stink the deeper you dig. And the idea that, oh, only the Republicans are this bad. It's just bullcrap. And it doesn't mean that because I start to skewer the Democrats, I'm now on the Republican side. I mean, that's how stupid and tribalist we have become. Ooh, all of a sudden they're criticizing Democrats. Ooh, so that means they're on the Republican side. It's like, no, 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 no. That is definitely not true of me. Now, that might be true of some. But that's not true of me. And I don't think that should be true of anybody who maintains a rigorous, critical lens in order to try to improve the condition of our thinking and how we think about these things. And especially when it comes to politics. You would not be worth your salt if you didn't look at these things. And these are the kinds of things we have to look at in our own personal lives. And we've really got to take that on. And some of you I know, I'm sure, are doing that. Some people have been doing that for a lifetime. Some of you have probably been doing this for a lifetime. You've got to do the work. Some people spend their entire lives in therapy, depending upon what they have experienced in their lives, the kinds of traumas and everything else. And they've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on trying to get better, or at least trying to unpack everything. 
that's gone on. That's work, man. And a hell of a lot of money spent. And that's work. That takes a lot of courage, too. Bank account, no bank account. It takes courage to do that. How much work do you think that Governor Andrew Cuomo has done? And I'm not talking about features and plastic surgery. I'm talking about how much work do you think he's done on himself? Because the idea that, oh, I'm governor now and I can do this. You don't think he was doing this before he became governor? Come on now. Because while I say that power is an aphrodisiac and it affords, especially men, this opportunity to be free, to behave in these really disgusting and reprehensible ways. It does not excuse the behavior and what I'm saying is not a justification for it. Somewhere along the line, a great many of these men who come into these positions of power, thanks to voters like you and I, or others, surely must have had a track record of doing this prior to getting the job. I think of this piece of garbage that just left cowardly with his tail between his legs just prior to January 20th out of the White House. And everyone knows he had and still has a track record of doing this to women. I mean, E. Jean Carroll told you about him. And there's a back and forth still going on around that and the DNA and this and the whole whole story. I mean, she wrote a whole story on this in New York Magazine, I think, in 2020. 2019 or 20. Did interviews, very uncomfortable interviews, by the way. So you can, I mean, shoot, I'm talking about how the interview was uncomfortable. How, how do you think she felt? about what happened to her. How do you think she felt as it was happening to her? And I'm here sitting here as a man talking about, ooh, oh, oh, uncomfortable interviews. Well, shame on me, you know? I mean, I'm sitting here talking about the interview being uncomfortable? Come on now. and I, I, Shame on me. I should know better than that. You know? I think that what happened to E. Jean Carroll and Bergdorf Goodman was freaking uncomfortable talking about an interview. Uh, I really wish I could strike those words from the record of this episode, dear listener, and I'm sorry. I mean, that just shows my level of irresponsibility and um, blind-spottedness. Because that's just pathetic, what I just said. Systems allow for behavior like this. Systems allow men to get away with this. Patriarchal systems that do not forcibly oust men like this from power as soon as the allegations and the investigations are done. Yes, I believe in due process. Yes, I believe the women. And you can have both things happen, right? You can have 11 women or in Harvey Weinstein's case, 200 or in Bill uh, Cosby's case, about 100. And you can still have due process at the same time. And so due process was provided here. I know in, in there's a loads of issues about Bill Cosby's, whether there was due process there or not. And I, I still think that Bill Cosby did all these things. It doesn't mean that 
He didn't. I'm just simply saying that due process must be afforded. If we supposedly have a society where you have that kind of thing, a so-called democracy, and I don't ever think we've really had one in this country for a billion and a half times, then in due process, the person who is being accused has to get his or her or their day to um, be heard from. And, oh, did we ever hear from Cuomo? I think uh, you've heard enough from him. I played you basically what it boiled down to. And he, I'll go, please go to my website. Oh, Jesus Christ. You know, uh, go read that 100. And first of all, here's what you do. Before you go to Andrew Cuomo's website, go and read the 168 friggin' page report. Right? Read that report. I've actually tweeted that out on Twitter. Uh, at the popcorn R E E L. Please read that freaking thing. It's a, it, I read through probably only about five pages of it, which of course is very, very little. But that might be five more pages than what most people read of it, except for journalists and obviously the people who put together the report, the two attorneys who were hard at work with the five-month investigation, Tish James, the Attorney General. You know, apart from people like that, hardly anybody has read the entire thing. And I'm going to be, uh, unfortunately, and I apologize again, so brace yourself, I'm going to be reading a couple of excerpts from it that are really, I find, to be reprehensible and disgusting. This is from the governor of the state of New York. And... What I think happens is that in power, you get a lot of criminal people who, as I said just a few minutes ago, they did not start becoming criminal once they became very powerful. They were like this for years before, and the system bumped them up, bumped them up, bumped them up, bumped them up. And then they were fully unleashed. Same thing with Trump. Ooh, he, oh, he did this. And the, and the same system celebrated that guy, that piece of garbage, for decades in New York. I remember it well. I was in New York. And decades celebrating him. Oh, well, he's the Donald. Ooh, he's this. And what's he? He's got this woman on his arm and that woman on his arm and Marla Maples and the best sex I've ever had and all this. So the headlines of New York Post, that piece of garbage newspaper. Oh, was it the New York Daily News? I think it was the New York Post. Uh, but, but the point is, is that they celebrated him. Now they act like, ooh, he's horrible. And these motherfuckers all championed his ass when he was discriminating against black people in the 70s, when he was calling for the death penalty for those young brothers in Central Park. And they were innocent as anything. And this motherfucker takes out a whole ad in a newspaper, bring back the death penalty, bring back our police. He didn't seem to care about police too much on January 6, 2021, did he now? And two more of them ended their own lives today. I don't hear anything from that piece of garbage. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear it. And this piece of garbage puts out more statements than people put out the, the garbage. And does he ever come out even now that he's no longer in office stinking up the joint, talking about he regrets the loss of life of the police? It's all a game. These motherfuckers don't care about the police. All they care about is their own ends. And that's what these people do. Oh, back to blue. And they don't give a fuck about the blue. They don't care about the police. They don't care about them. 
I mean, if, if you if, if listen, if this guy and this Republican Party gave a damn about the police, they would have absolutely have released statements. They would have ventured their support. They wouldn't have defunded all kinds of things. Oh, please. It's just ridiculous. These people are just so bullcrappy. And the other thing is that all of this, all of this is about people who were like this before and people around them know it. Family members even perhaps know it. The spouses know it. The freaking enablers know it. And that's the people, those are the people I have as almost, almost as much contempt for as I do people like Cuomo and the piece of garbage that left the White House six months plus ago and, and people like that. I have contempt for the enablers who know and just turn and look the other way. Oh, yes, I'll do this. Matt Lauer's people. Oh, I'll do. And they keep promoting him in NBC. Oh, he goes up the ladder and up the ladder. Charlie friggin Rose. Oh, oh, yeah, well, yeah, it was harmless. Oh, well, yes, Mr. Rose, I'll get you this nice young thing, quote unquote, over here. I mean, and these are women doing this, too. And of course, in the patriarchy, you're going to have some women doing the bidding of these toxic males. And you're going to have black folk doing the bidding of some of these white males. And you're going to have, this is how it works. I mean, how this warped ass system works because you've got to pay to play and the mentality around that play to pay or pay to play bullshit whatever the hell it is is that you got to be in it right Ooh, if you want to be around power this is what you have to do you have to kiss someone's ass for more than 10 seconds i mean this is this this is the naked reality of what you're dealing with and it's disgusting and it's dirty and you have to make those trade-offs. Not that you have to trade off anything except your dignity and your values. And then you have to ask yourself, what the fuck are your values? What are your values? Again, I'm going to come back to that word again here now. I've just talked about power and I'm going to talk about values. What are your values? Because this is not about a political party or one against the other or the stupid childish tribalism. And I know tribalism is real in lots of other ways, but in this kind of way, come on now. Come on now. This is ridiculous. And the question should be, instead of looking at R's and D's after people's last names, the question should be, what is your value system. What are your values? And the sooner you are able to answer that question for yourself, the better it might be. Because this is absolutely reprehensible. And if you're going to hold your tongue because you don't want to talk about the political party where people in the party that you support and champion are behaving like animals and wolves and criminals and thieves, then doesn't that make you one too, by definition, if you're not even going to speak out? Doesn't that make you somehow complicit? I want to read a statement 
Senators Gillibrand and I have released a statement a short while ago, which follows a statement we released in March calling on the governor to resign. Let me read you the statement. This is from Senator Gillibrand and myself. As we have said before, the reported actions of the governor were profoundly disturbing, inappropriate, and completely unacceptable. Today's report from the New York State Attorney General substantiated and corroborated the allegations of the brave women who came forward to share their stories, and we commend the women for doing so. The New York State Attorney General has conducted an independent, thorough, and professional investigation that found the governor violated state and federal law, had a pattern of sexual, sexually harassing current and former employees, retaliated against one of the accusers, at least one of the accusers, and created a hostile work environment. No elected official is above the law. The people of New York deserve better leadership in the governor's office. We continue to believe that the governor should resign. Yes. Well, on that front, I mean, did you watch the governor's statement? Clearly, he didn't resign. So, what is your reaction to that? I continue to believe the governor should resign. Yes. Next. Even if he doesn't, should the legislature impeach him and then remove him from office? As I said, I continue to believe the governor should resign. Yes. What's your personal relationship going to be with him going forward? Forward, and we still work and deal with him. As I said, I continue to believe that he should resign. Back in March, you said that if the investigation confirmed the allegations against Governor Cuomo, then he should resign. So will you now call on him to resign, given the investigator said the 11 women were credible? I stand by that statement. Are you now calling on him to resign? Yes. And if he doesn't resign, do you believe he should be impeached and removed from office? Let's take one thing at a time, Eric. I think he should resign. I understand that the state legislature may decide to impeach. I don't know that for a fact. I've not read all that data. And he's using a photo of you embracing him in his self-defense to say that these are commonplace kind of embraces that he made and the allegations against him. Do you condone that? Look, I'm not going to fly spec this. I'm sure there are some embraces that were totally innocent. Welcome back. And I apologize for the quality of some of the audio that you've been hearing there. Um, first of all, you heard there from Chuck Schumer, the majority leader in the Senate. He today reiterated, as you heard, a statement that he and uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, also from New York, both of them from New York senators, um, made around Cuomo. They both have called for his resignation again. And I think it's really good that the people in the same party as the governor are doing that, just as they did with Al Franken. And this should this is never this should never be a question of ooh political party. I know the other political party they dig in right they stand in dig their heels in. More people support the bad behavior. I remember this with Roy Moore, right? Remember Roy Moore in uh, Alabama when he was running for governor in two thousand seventeen. And about 2 billion women came out and said, this guy is a child molester, he's a pederast, he did this, he did that. And they had some of them held press conferences and no Republican would walk away from them. I think Mitch McConnell may have done, or maybe one or two did, but most of these people just dug their heels in. And so did the guy in the White House at the time. 
And that's what these bastards do. You know, they just sit there and do that. I am, again, having listened to me now talking about party, right? Just after I spent a million minutes talking about we, this shit is not about party. And it isn't about party. This is about decency and, and indecency. This is about people who are accountable or who are not accountable, who are responsible and who are not responsible. That's what all of this is about. It's not about a freaking R and a D. I mean, see, when you talk that kind of language, you're doomed. You're doomed. Because you then succumb to the same lazy, childish, tribalistic garbage in politics that keeps you in the place you are in and keeps the country in the same place. I mean, this is really not rocket science. It is really not. And so, I, I, I listen, you heard from Chuck Schumer there. And it was very clear. He kept repeating it. He should resign. And it's good to see that, um, and I know he's a good friend of Governor Cuomo, Chuck Schumer. They've been friends for 50, 60, 50, some plus years. But again, um, what he says in front of the microphone is clear. Now, I don't know. Behind closed doors, has he spoken to him? I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, this is how power works. They're, oh, well, you know, Andy. And I'm trying to do my quote, my uh, Schumer voice. Andy, this is not looking good for you. I can't do the voice. It is not looking good for you. Now, I think you have to resign. And Andy, for the good of New York State, you have to go. This is Andy. This is not good. Anyway, that's my worst Schumer impression. Um, the bottom line here is that he may have had that conversation with him, but that doesn't matter really. This is the thing. He's got to go. Cuomo has to go, uh, end, end of, no excuses at all. And so the second piece of audio after that you heard was Joe Biden, the president of the United States. And he ended there, and again, I apologize for the quality of the audio. He ended the audio portion there with a statement, well, apparently the attorney general found that he did have inappropriate embraces. Well, someone who should know all about inappropriate embraces is the president himself. And what's so interesting is that this is August 3rd, 2021. And back on April 3rd, 2019, this was what candidate Biden had to say on Twitter. The coming month, I expect to be talking to you about a whole lot of issues, and I'll always be direct with you. But today I want to talk about gestures of support and encouragement that I've made to women and some men that have made them uncomfortable. And I always tried to be, uh, in my career, I've always tried to make a human connection. That's my responsibility, I think. I shake hands, I hug people, I, I grab men and women by the shoulders and say, you can do this. And, and, uh, and whether they're women, men, young, old, it's, it's the way I've always been. It's the way I've tried to show I care about them and I'm listening. And over the years, knowing what I've been through, the things that I've faced, I've found that scores, if not hundreds of people have come up to me and reached out for solace and comfort, something, something, anything that may help them get through the tragedy they're going through. And, and, uh, and, and so I, it's just, just who, who I am. And I've never thought of politics as cold and antiseptic. I, I've always thought it about connecting with people. As like I said, shaking hands, uh, hands on the shoulder, a hug, uh, encouragement. And now, and now it, it's all about taking selfies together. Uh, you know, social norms have begun to change. They've shifted. 
And the boundaries of protecting personal space have been reset. And I get it. I get it. I hear what they're saying. I understand it. And I'll be much more mindful. That's my responsibility. My responsibility, and I'll meet it. But I'll always believe governing, quite frankly, life for that matter, is about connecting, about connecting with people. That won't change, but I will be more mindful and respectful of people's personal space. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I've worked my whole life to empower women. I've worked my whole life to prevent abuse. I've written, and, and so the idea that I can adjust to the fact that personal space is important, more important than it's ever been, is, is, is just not thinkable. I will. I will. So that was candidate Biden, or at least that was Joe Biden just prior to announcing his candidacy for president of the United States in 2019. I believe it was about three weeks after that that he announced or was it in early May of 2019. I forget. But the point is, is that that was April the 3rd, 2019. And that was Vice President Biden at the time. And everybody knew that he was prepping to announce a run for president. That was really what everybody knew. And we all sat here, I certainly did, saying, well, why the heck is he making a statement if he if he's not going to run for president? One of the things I want to get to really quickly, because this is not about Biden, but then it, again, it is about him. Um, it, just for background purposes, you may remember that in 2015 or 16, I, and I forget the year now, whichever year it was, it, it was either 2000, if I know, it would have been 2000. And 16 or so, 15 or so, whichever one of those years, uh, in the Rose Garden, uh, President Biden, President Biden, listen to me, President Obama, um, soon to be, well, future First Lady Jill Biden, and uh, Vice President Joe Biden came out uh, on the on the Rose Garden, and uh, Joe Biden made a statement that he would not be running for president in 2016. You know, Bo Biden had passed away within the last few months or weeks of that statement that uh, Biden made in the Rose Garden. You also had at the time Hillary Clinton, who I think had already announced or was going to announce her candidacy. And I think the two big reasons why Joe Biden didn't run were A, and I do believe that this did play a part, was his with his young son, with his son, Bo Biden, who was extremely close to, I shouldn't, you not even extremely, he was deeply close, let me put it that way, deeply close to Bo, 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 Bo Bridges, to Bo Biden. And that was basically his brother, not his son. Uh, seriously, he was very, very close indeed to his son, Bo. And much closer, I think, than he is to Hunter Biden at present. Uh, and so the grief of that, um, that will take a toll. And then to be running around the country, and yeah, I can I can definitely understand that. And the other reason is Hillary Clinton. It was clear path, it's Hillary Clinton's turn again. And that's how politics is in, in this country and in some other countries too, where it's a clubhouse attitude, up, oh, you're up next, batter up. And it was Hillary Clinton's turn. That's how that was. It was supposed to be her turn in 2008, and the clubhouse got stung because this so-called upstart, or what they really mean is uppity Negro, or what they really mean is uppity you-know-what, got in the way, right? The fly in the ointment of, of the Clintonian ascendancy once again. And this Chicago guy, which is, of course, 
another euphemism, a racist euphemism for you know what, right? Got in the way and won the uh, candidacy uh, for the presidential nomination. And, you know, I'll never forget this and and, uh, all the racist attacks on Obama from these Hillary Clinton supporters and calling up uh, the racist attacks on um, Jim Clyburn and leaving racist voicemails on on his voicemail and damaging his office and Bill Clinton screaming at him. I mean, this is these Clintons, I tell you, history, and I'm going to get to Bill Clinton in a few moments. History will not remember him very kindly. And we already know that about him. But um, as background for Biden, those are the two reasons why he didn't run. And let me not forget to say this. I will say this forever. I think that Joe Biden raped Tara Reid. Now, I know people will say this about Tara Reid, that about Tara Reid, and I, all these, these stories are out here. Oh, she's do some. Listen to me. Listen to me. It, it, I don't care what stories are out there. You either believe that this happened or you believe that it did not. And I believe it happened. And that's as far, and I've explained this ad infinitum. You can go back to last year's episodes, especially in April of 2020, where I did at least two, at least two episodes about Tara Reid and Joe Biden. And in detail, um, in fact, that one was one of the most listened to episodes of 2020 on this podcast was the episode I did on Tara Reid. I did two of them. So I really, if if you have uh, recently come to this podcast, I would advise you, if you are so inclined and interested to go through what is going to be very triggering material, uh, let me warn you of that too. Um, as I remember very clearly in one of those two episodes I did, um, and I warned and I made the warnings count in there too. I made it very clear about the warnings um, you need to really listen to those um, because they went into clear detail and everything about all of that. So, I, I mean, I'm not going to go and go through all of that again here. Um, so you got to look at what's going on here. Look at the through line. Look at the context. I talked about Ted Kennedy. I've talked about Bill Clinton. I've talked about the, the piece of garbage that left the White House seven months ago. I t- I've talked about um, Cuomo here. And Biden, as I've said, and Ted Kennedy, as I've said, and look at what it is. All of this is this violence against women. All of it. All of it. Whether it's harassment, whether it's a whole lot worse than that, they're all horrible things to go through. Um, I shouldn't be saying a whole lot worse, although there is something that is worse than harassment. And we know what that is. It's a four letter word beginning with R. And it's, it's called rape and it's evil. And, you know, I once argued um, in uh, as a youngster, even before getting and going into law school, I argued that Ray and I'm not and I'm against the death penalty. But for the sake of arguing this for some kind of mock court, even before I got into law school, I argued I did presented an argument as to why rapists should get the death penalty. And I never will forget the looks on the (laughs) the female students faces when they heard me talking. I mean, I'll never forget that. Um, because I really meant what I said. But no, I am not for the death penalty. Again, it was a legal argument that I was making in a court. And again, you have to be professional, right? You Just because you argue something, it doesn't necessarily mean you personally believe it. And so 
all of this is to say um, that I think that Joe Biden did what Tara Reid said he did. I do believe that 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 happened to her. And it's just so creepy to play that audio that I just played. Knowing that Joe Biden has been accused of being very inappropriate with women and some men. And, and there have been a lot. I mean, LBJ did the same thing. He, was, he had a legacy of being this way. But that doesn't absolve any of them. And you've got to be able to not only be respectful of personal space, but you've got to change your behavior. And you've got to ask yourself, why do you have to put your hands on everybody? And you also have to say, well, if I'm going to want to do this, can I at least ask them first before I just stick my friggin' hands everywhere? And that's what a system does. It gives these white men in particular and men in general this carte blanche to just go touch every freaking thing that moves. And I'm sorry, that's not how it works. There is a code of conduct. Did you not get taught this as a child? Did your parents not teach you to keep your hands to yourself? I mean, really? It's just absolutely unbelievable. So, again, it's, it, it, again and I apologize for that quality of that audio. Um, some audio issues with some of the stuff today. So I, I, I must apologize that it's not as crisp um, as you are or may be accustomed to. So please bear with me and I apologize. And I beg your indulgence. I, I just, you know, I just played you that whole statement that he made there, Biden. Um, and just to know after all the allegations, I mean, I remember Lucy Flores in Nevada, who was a, once a, a congresswoman or a councilwoman um, and then an, uh, an activist, I believe, or a political strategist, certainly. And she had talked about Biden had been um, blowing on her neck or touching the back of her neck. I mean, what the fuck is this guy doing? It's like what Sue Simmons said. The fuck are you doing? Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, what are you doing? It's like, my God, I mean, really? Why can't these men keep their friggin' hands to themselves? My God, they don't talk to their wives like this. I mean, but I mean, even if they did, it's, this is the kind of toxic garbage that's got to end. And when you've got a misogynistic and patriarchal society that does not teach men to respect female and female persons and girls, right? And women. This is going to continue to happen. Predicate. The system's predicated on all of this. Misogyny is the oldest evil in the world. One of the oldest evils in the world. Enslavement and misogyny. I mean, this is just, I, I tell you, and, the, you know, the, this whole boys will be boys garbage. And, you know, allowing these men who think that they're men behaving in this way. It's like, what gives these men the right? I know someone's already beat me to the eyes of power, but that's not even a really good excuse. There's no excuse for any of this. And there needs to be a culture and a system dedicated toward respecting girls and women and also boys have to start behaving from a very early age i mean that's part of the solution i think that will get us there and also 
this culture needs to be upended and invigorated with a brand new culture that does respect everybody and not just white men and not just powerful men of any racial background. You know, this is just unacceptable. I mean, that's one of the many solutions that I, I will offer here. Um, but I do want to get to some other things, uh, including now, as I did promise you, uh, a portion of this 168-page report here. Um, I think I think I would just best that I just read this and not read anything more. Um, you know, th- this is just... Oh, boy. You're going to have to brace yourself here. And I'm going to then just um, read these paragraphs. And I'm going to stop. And it's going to be about three or four paragraphs. There's a lot here um, that I'm not going to read. But I'm going to read um, just this particular uh, account. And then I am going to just end it there regarding any graphic detail because again I do know that this is extremely triggering Uh, some of you may well be survivors Um, many of you may well be survivors and so um, you know I support you 1000% and I am very sorry about what has happened to you. you you have a friend here who really does care sincerely and um, we'll also continue to educate men and boys, which is one of the things, among many things, that I do um, offline in real life. Um, and so, you know, this this is something that's very important. I've always believed in this. This is not something that's just come along to me in the last 10 years. I've always, I've had this sense from a very young age um, that, 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 you know, there is no excuse and no justification. This has got to end and men and boys have to be rewired and have to be reeducated and have to be unlearning and, and women do too, because there are some women that think that this shit's okay too. With Bill Clinton and these women, oh yeah, Bill Clinton, oh, woo! I'll get to that shortly as well. But let me get to really the gravman of all of this, which is this, um, 168 page report that was released today and it's horrifying and I've only read five pages out of the 168 it's absolutely horrifying it's a horror I tell you it's absolutely horrible and I'm sorry but I'm going to read a bit of that horror to you now and again let me please warn you that the following account that I'm going to be reading from this report Uh, is triggering and traumatizing. And I do urge you um, for the next minute and a half to two minutes, if you are someone who is a survivor um, and also is uncomfortable with listening to this, I would advise you to really um, step away now for the next uh, two and a half minutes um, while I read this. Here is page one of the report from the executive summary of the report. And I'm going to just read this now. The governor's sexually harassing conduct. The governor's sexually harassing conduct established during our investigation and described in greater detail in the factual findings of this report includes the following executive assistant number one, 
Since approximately late 2019, the governor engaged in a pattern of inappropriate conduct with an executive assistant who is a woman. That pattern of conduct included one, close and intimate hugs, two, kisses on the cheek, forehead, and at least one kiss on the lips, three, touching and grabbing of executive assistant number one's butt during hugs and on one occasion while taking selfies with him, and four, comments and jokes by the governor about executive assistant one's personal life and relationships, including calling her and another assistant mingle mamas, inquiring multiple times about whether she had cheated or would cheat on her husband, and asking her to help him find a girlfriend. By the way, the governor's married. But that didn't stop anyone, right? I mean, we know that people cheat all the time. And I'm not, again, I'm not casting any judgment on that because that's deeply personal. There may be many reasons why someone does that. I'm not going to fall one way or the other on it. I'm just saying it. I'm not judging it. Right? Because people do cheat, right? Maybe you have, right? I don't know. It's not my business. You know, I, you know, I'm not, listen, I'm not sitting here as a paragon of, of perfection or, or, or being the, you know, holier than thou. I'm just saying that people do these things. These offensive interactions, among others, culminated in an incident in the executive mansion, November, 2020, November, 2020, dear, dear read, dear listener. When the governor, during another close hug with executive assistant one, reached under her blouse and grabbed her breast. For over three months, executive assistant one kept this groping incident to herself and planned to take it to the grave, but found herself becoming emotional in a way that was visible to her colleagues in the executive chamber while watching the governor state at a press conference on March 3rd, 2021, this five months ago today, today that he had never touched anyone inappropriately and that's in quotes she then confided in certain of her colleagues who in turn reported her allegations to senior staff in the executive chamber and then there's an incident with trooper number one and running his hand across her stomach and I can't read any more of this I don't need to traumatize anybody any further. Uh, this is just disgusting. Dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? Are you a fucking governor or a predator or both? What the fuck? Honestly. Honestly. Come on. You are garbage, sir. You are garbage. You must stop. Good God, man. For God's sake, man. Keep your goddamn hands to your goddamn self. Why is that so difficult for you? This report just goes on and on. It deal it 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 just goes through every single of the uh, all of the 11 women here. Uh this is just horrible. And um, I don't, I mean, this is just horrible. Honest, I mean, really now. Can we just get real for a minute? This is horrible. 
I am 63 years old. I have lived my entire adult life in public view. That is just not who I am. As detailed in the report, employees recounted a pattern of similarly offensive comments and conversations, such as the governor repeatedly asking executive assistant number one whether she would cheat on her husband, saying to her, if you were single, the things I would do to you telling her that she looked great for her age, which was early 30s, and for a mother, calling her and coworker Alyssa McGrath mingle mamas, comparing Lindsay Boylan to a more attractive version of one of his ex-girlfriends and to actresses. Women also described to us having the governor seek them out, stare intently at them, look them up and down, or gaze at their chest or butt. In sum, the governor routinely interacted with women in ways that focused on their gender, sometimes in explicitly sexualized manner, in ways that women found deeply humiliating and offensive. What was the culture? Words that witnesses have used repeatedly to describe it include toxic, hostile, abusive. Others use words like fear, intimidation, bullying vindictive. As one senior staffer stated bluntly, as the sexual harassment allegations became public in March of this year in text exchanges uh, with others, with another in the executive, in the administration, I quote, hopefully when this is all done, people will realize the culture, even outside of the sexual harassment stuff, is not something you can get away with. You can't berate and terrify people 24-7, close quote. It was a culture where you could not say no to the governor. And if you, and if you upset him or, his, him or his senior staff, you would be written off, cast aside, or worse. The executive chamber's culture of fear and flirtation, intimidation and intimacy, abuse and affection, created a work environment ripe for harassment. And there you go. Those are the two investigators that you just heard from, um, Ms. Clark and Mr. Kim, um, talking there at the press conference today um, at the New York State Attorney General's office. Those are the two investigators that conducted the five-month-long investigation uh, that culminated in the finding today released that Governor Mario, Mario, listen to me. Governor Andrew, yeah, I wonder what Mario would have thought of this. Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York State had sexually harassed women in his employ and, and beyond, you know, security detail and beyond. I mean, this guy is a serial predator and abuser. And you've got abusers all over this place doing this and they're in power. And they need to be rooted out of power because this kind of garbage cannot keep going on. And as long as you have a system like this, you're going to have it keep continuing, quite frankly. And so what we're looking at here um, is a governor who is lying when he says, oh, this is not who I am. This is exactly who the fuck you are. And Governor Cuomo, you need to step down. You need to stand down now. You need to stand down yesterday. And the problem here is that you're going to have a governor now who's going to gum up the works and try to hold on. And I saw someone on Twitter today say, oh, this is from the you know, the piece of garbage who left the White House seven months ago. Oh, it's from his playbook. No, it's fucking not. It's not from his 
playbook. It's from the freaking patriarchy playbook. It's from the power playbook. It's from the toxic masculinity playbook. It's not from any one person. I mean, see, this is the dynamite. See, this is what happens when you're stuck in that damn tribalism I kept telling you about earlier. Oh, well, it's this one. He's doing a so-and-so from the playbook of him. It's so juvenile. We do this in this country. Oh, we here in the United States, we love doing stuff like this. Because in a certain way, I think that derives comfort for some people. Some people actually get comfortable talking about it in such simplistic and shallow terms. Oh, it's his playbook. He's good. Motherfucker, this has happened been happening for hundreds of years, man. For centuries, man. This didn't just start with the last guy in the White House. Come on. Ooh, it's from his playbook. He's digging in his heels. Motherfucker, this has been going on for centuries, from time immemorial. Oh, God. But that's the simplistic nature of some of the stuff you see on social media and from some of these pundits. And that's the things that people watch 24-7. Like, that's real television to them. And that is not television to me. That's bullshit. And that's why I don't waste my time with the corporate news media, except for Sky News in England. Because they don't have pundits on there. At least, not in the way they do here. Anyway, I don't want to go into the fairness doctrine that Reagan scrapped. I'd be here all night and all day and all day and all night. And so, look, that's not what my whole focus is. The point is, is that those two investigators you heard from laid this whole sorry story out. And I am not going to sit here and and ever believe someone who says I'm 63 years old. I mean, what the fuck is your age? Again, I'll keep saying it. What the fuck does your age have to do with the way you're behaving? You have 60-year-olds who behave well, and 60-year-olds who don't. You have 20-year-olds who behave well, and 20-year-olds who don't, like that stupid prick in the airplane who punched uh, a flight attendant and uh, allegedly groped the breasts of two other flight attendants. Uh, I mean, I mean, come on. And then started screaming about how rich his parents are. White guy, of course. I mean, this is just, again... The people have got to stop with the simplicity of, oh, it's a playbook. He's he's taking a leaf out of his... Pl- oh, Jesus Christ. That's how you dumb down a country, fool. That, that's what I'm saying to that person who said that. That's how you dumb down a country with this, ooh, this one and that one and tribalism and da-da-da-da-da and D versus R and R versus D and D. And, come on. That's the juvenility of the whole blooming thing. We've got to think better than that. We've got to think better than that. We've got to be critical thinkers. That's what I want people to be. To be critical thinkers relentlessly till it hurts you. I want you to think critically. You had so many... Angela Davis is a critical thinker. James Baldwin was a critical thinker. Malcolm X was a critical thinker. Dr. King was a critical thinker. Fannie Lou Hamer was a critical thinker. My goodness, that's just a small, small few. And my God, man, we've gone, I keep telling you, we've gone backwards from the 60s. We've gone backwards. People that won't even go and support voting rights. Oh, the filibuster, we can't get rid of that. 
says President Biden. Because, oh, we'll get nothing done. We aren't getting anything done now. These motherfuckers are digging in their heels. Oh, oh, we're going to, yeah, come on. But again, this is the simplistic behavior and language of a simpleton nation or a simpleton culture. Because I don't think we have a nation here, folks. (sighs) Let me just get to, um, remember this little ditty from, uh, well, just remember, do you remember this ditty? But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. Thank you. Good evening. This afternoon in this room, from this chair, I testified before the Office of Independent Counsel and the Grand Jury. I answered their questions truthfully, including questions about my private life, questions no American citizen would ever want to answer. Still, I must take complete responsibility for all my actions, both public and private. And that is why I am speaking to you tonight. As you know, in a deposition in January, I was asked questions about my relationship with Monica Lewinsky. While my answers were legally accurate, I did not volunteer information. Indeed, I did have a relationship with Ms. Lewinsky that was not appropriate. In fact, it was wrong. It constituted a critical lapse in judgment and a personal failure on my part for which I am solely and completely responsible. But I told the grand jury today And I say to you now that at no time did I ask anyone to lie, to hide or destroy evidence, or to take any other unlawful action. I know that my public comments and my silence about this matter gave a false impression. I misled people, including even my wife. I deeply regret that. I can only tell you I was motivated by many factors. First, by a desire to protect myself from the embarrassment of my own conduct. I was also very concerned about protecting my family. The fact that these questions were being asked in a politically inspired lawsuit, which has since been dismissed, was a consideration too. In addition, I had real and serious concerns about an independent counsel investigation that began with private business dealings 20 years ago. Dealings, I might add, about which an independent federal agency found no evidence of any wrongdoing by me or my wife over two years ago. The independent counsel investigation moved on to my staff and friends, then into my private life. And now the investigation itself is under investigation. This has gone on too long cost too much and hurt too many innocent people. Now this matter is between me, the two people I love most, my wife and our daughter, and our God. I must put it right, and I am prepared to do whatever it takes to do so. Nothing is more important to me personally, but it is private. 
and I intend to reclaim my family life for my family. It's nobody's business but ours. Even presidents have private lives. It is time to stop the pursuit of personal destruction and the prying into private lives and get on with our national life. Our country has been distracted by this matter for too long, and I take my responsibility for my part in all of this. That is all I can do. Now it is time, in fact, it is past time to move on. We have important work to do, real opportunities to seize, real problems to solve, real security matters to face. And so tonight, I ask you to turn away from the spectacle of the past seven months, to repair the fabric of our national discourse, and to return our attention to all the challenges and all the promise of the next American century. Thank you for watching, and good night. So that was a tale of two Bill Clintons in 1998. In January, January 26th to be precise of that year, the defiant Bill Clinton, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I didn't lie. I mean, come on. And he's right. He didn't have sexual relations with her. He sexually harassed her. That's what he did. But at the time, everybody was looking at that as a sex scandal. You know? And I got caught up in that. Oh, it's a sex scandal. But I knew that it wasn't. You know why I knew it wasn't? Even as I was going, yeah, sex scandal. I only did that because all we saw was blue dress and the semen stains. And all. Problem is, the media sexualized that stuff. That's what the problem was. But this was not a sexual scandal. This was sexual harassment. Monica Lewinsky was 22. 22 years old. Bill Clinton was 49. Bill Clinton was president of the United States. Monica Lewinsky was an intern, unpaid. There is a gulf, a gulf of difference. One of them has power, the other does not. That is not consensual, even if it is consensual. You know what the overriding dynamic is? It's not consent, it's power. Because even in the consent, Monica Lewinsky knows this guy is the most powerful human being on the friggin' planet. And if she steps out of line, whatever that means, in the eyes of Bill Clinton, I'm contextualizing it in that way. She knows that life could be made very uncomfortable for her. That's inherently coercive, even if she is consensual with him. It's the dynamic in the relationship, not whether the consent is there in that relation. Now, consent is extremely important. Oh, my God. I will be the last person to disclaim that, for God's sakes. Me? Oh, Jesus. Consent is a must. But in a relation, not but, and in a relationship like that, with the most powerful human being on the planet and an intern, that is not a sex scandal. That's sexual harassment. There's power involved. I go back to that word again, power. And you know, the thing about that second statement, the one that you heard there, 
just afterwards in August of 1998, that same year, the tale of two Bill Clintons, you know, seven months after he lied and said he didn't have any relations. Excuse me, and I just said that he was kind of right about that because he didn't. I mean, yeah, obviously he did. But that was all in the, it was very coercive sexual harassment, even with the consent. Because of the power dynamic. It's absolutely sexual harassment. And so in that second statement, I played a portion of it that you just heard. He said, people I heard, including even my wife. <laughs> and I mean, I almost burst out laughing every time I hear that now. And in fact, I did at the time when he said it, because I was watching that here in San Francisco through, um, I was peering through a bar window and I think the window would have been open so I could hear it and I was standing there watching it because it was around I think three in the afternoon here when Clinton was giving that statement live on TV I mean everything stopped and this is during the US Open too by the way because it was in late August I believe or maybe the middle of August of, of that year 1998 and it was during the middle of the week I believe it was a Wednesday or Thursday I think it was a Wednesday my memory, I'll put my memory to the test and I'll go back and check and see if it was a Wednesday. And um, he said this and that line was so strange, including even my wife. <laughs> and it's kind of like, wait a minute, man, really? That's how you put it? Very strange sounding. Um, and even his wife, in case you do not know, is Hillary Rodham Clinton. And... Um, who say what people might say and often do um, about Hillary Clinton. And I've had my criticisms of her as well as my um, actually support of her in some things and criticism of her in others, like everything else, right? Um, she's much, much, again, this is not, uh, you will look at this, some of you may be as condescending, but this, she is far the brains uh, between the two of them. I don't care what kind of fucking road scholar Bill Clinton is, doesn't matter. I mean, th that doesn't mean you're intelligent if you're a Rhodes Scholar. It means that you performed very well academically and that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're this smart, intelligent human, human being. You mastered something, and yeah, it took work to do that, but it doesn't make you this brainy, intelligent human being. I mean, I think it's a real misnomer to say that because you graduated from Yale or Harvard, that makes you smarter than anybody else. All these people in power from frickin' Yale or Harvard. And look what the fuck many of them have done. I mean, look at George W. friggin' Bush with a so-called gentleman's friggin' C from Yale. And look how he and look what how he turned out. And he wasn't even that great in school, like I said, a gentleman's C. Oh please. And look at this piece of garbage that left the White House. And look at the fact that he was a horrible student in Fordham. Couldn't even frickin' well count basically this guy was a fail and got people to write his freaking paper for him and take his freaking test for him dumbass i mean give me a freaking break oh well i'm from yale i'm from wharton i'm from and the mean jack shit if you behave like a fucking thug and you go and freaking you know commit all these violent acts against women doesn't mean jack shit what school you went to and you fucked up the world as it is oh i'm from harvard i'm from yale and then, and then and then both those schools enslaved black folks. Shut up. Oh, please. Go read Craig Stephen Wilder's book, Ebony and Ivy, which I've given away on a number of occasions on this podcast. 
about the, the walking around on these freaking Ivy League school campuses with black folk in chains. Shut up. I mean, seriously. Oh, when I went to Harvard and Yale, did you see what freaking happened at Harvard and freaking Yale? Shut up. I mean, really, but that's what happens when you have a culture, right, that traffics in all this stuff. And then at these schools, and then when women get violated in these schools, the trustees are all in for the friggin' rapist, all supporting his ass. Shut up. And Stanford, and all, remember what happened at Stanford? Oh, don't get me started. Oh, oh, that swimmer's life's gonna be ruined, and... Oh, and the trustees standing by that motherfucker. I mean, give me a breath. I mean, I go on and on. That's a whole nother program, podcast episode, really. Ah, this is disgusting. And so Bill Clinton, again, history is not going to remember him as kindly as he initially was remembered. That short period of time, um, for about 10 years after he left office, especially in light of George W. Friggin' Bush, you know, um, George W. fucking Bush, um, you know, since him, you know, during that time, Bill Clinton was very fondly remembered. But as soon as Obama started to come through and during the primary campaign of uh, 2008, when Bill Clinton said that racist bullcrap about Obama, oh, Jesse Jackson, Jesse Jackson gave a speech, you know, uh, this is the, you know, trying to compare oh, to the other black guy that ran. Shh. And Bill Clinton couldn't get out his own fucking way. And we all know that. And he became a liability to Hillary Clinton, even my wife. And he absolutely ruined her political career. If there's anybody, anybody who has ruined Hillary Rodham Clinton's career, it is Bill Clinton. Period. Full stop. End of. It's a fact. It's a fact. It's an opinion, but it's also a fact. This guy has done more to hurt her career than anything. And yes, the right-wing conspiracy that she talked about on on the Today Show back in the 90s with none other than Matt Lauer. (laughs) Right? And I believe it was Matt Lauer. Um, And um, yeah, of course. That definitely you can't discount. I'm not discounting or trivializing it. But I think that no one, if you look at the Republicans, definitely have done a lot to try to derail her. Um, But I think, uh, uh, you know, with the Republicans as well, no one else has done more damage to her political career than her own husband has. Seriously. Whether it's with the sexual harassment, Monica Lewinsky, whether it's with him making these racist statements. Um, He did the same thing in Philadelphia when he was trying to shout down a group of black people who held up placards protesting some stuff that he did. And then Hillary Clinton herself with the super, pre- the super predator references in 1994 during, um, or whenever it was in 92 or 94, um, or whenever that was or 91, um, when, when her hubby was running, um, for the, for the first time for the 92 campaign. And, uh, Oh, they must be brought to heel. And remember, I'll never forget See, see, some of you have forgotten this already. There was a black woman that came to the fundraiser and unfurled a banner saying that we are not super predators. I think the exact name of the thing on the banner was. And she acted like she'd never freaking said it. Oh, oh, I'm really? Uh, 
And the black woman is the sister standing there telling her, well, you know, yeah, you call the super predators. We are not super predators. Uh, well, can we discuss this? And she all acted like, oh, I don't know what what's going on here. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, come on now. And that was in 2016, and she was toast. And then you know what happened later on that year, don't you know? Don't you, don't you, don't you? So, yeah, I think Bill Clinton has been a huge liability, and I'm not going too far off the topic here. He has been toxic. He has been a disaster, just like um, some of these other people I've talked about. And, you know, I tell you, I tell you, history is turning on his ass because he is not this beloved figure now. Bill Clinton now, in retrospect, even with the economy and the surplus and the uh, 23 million net jobs and all of the other things that were good. And heck, you know, that was a really good time for a lot of people, including myself, big beneficiary of all of that, you know, but because um, he did turn the economy around. There's no there's no doubt about that. But that is not what people are remembering him for. You know, there's a lot of other stuff out there um, about him that ain't being looked at so fondly now. Um, even if Obama does think that uh, Bill Clinton is the secretary of explaining stuff, he's also the secretary of something else. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop. <laughs> I love that song, by the way, from Fleetwood Mac. And that was the tune that Bill Clinton would play at his campaign rallies. And I think Hillary Clinton did so, too, in some of hers in 2008. She didn't in 2016, not to the best of my memory. Um, I think she used, um, oh, I know who she Sarah by um, Sarah Barre's, um, um Brave, I think, was the song. And it was one of the songs she used, I think. Oh, no, that might have been Kirsten Gillibrand um, in 2020. Um, you know, I can remember. It's interesting. I think about these theme songs of people from 2020 in the presidential campaign then and in the, in the Democratic nomination campaign, I should say, to be more specific. And uh, Senator Klobuchar did that song. Uh, her walkout song was the China Shop song. And I forget her, the name of the, begins of a D, the, the artist who sang that. Um, China Shop, the bull in the, it's the bull in the China Shop. Da, 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 I'm the bullpen. Da, da, da. I, I can't do, do the lyrics and you know, horrible, but you get the idea. You know that song that I'm talking about. In fact, that's the same song that begins or one of the early parts of the documentary RBG about the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, that song comes up in the first five to ten minutes of that documentary uh, by Betsy West and Julie Cohen. And you should, by the way, you should watch that. It's an excellent documentary. Um, I think it's on Netflix and it's 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 around. And by the way, I want to also shout them out again, uh, Betsy West and, and, and Julie Cohen um, for their upcoming documentary on Julia Child, um, the legendary um cook, author, entertainer, because she, she really was in some ways, in a great many ways, an entertainer as well. Julia Child, a legendary um, cook uh, and chef and, uh, you know, all the other things. Um, by the way, Meryl Streep played Julia Child in that uh, movie, Julie and Julia, um, that came out years back. And, 
You know, I think I got to interview Amy Adams. Amy Adams was in that movie too. I think I, I did get to interview Amy Adams for that. Guys, well, how can you not remember interviewing Amy Adams? Wow, that's not good. Um, <laughs> gosh, oh my Lord. Or maybe that's an indicative of something else. I don't know. But um, the bottom line is the reason why I go through these songs, uh, this the Fleetwood Mac song, which I love, and I remember very clearly from the 1970s, um, and it was one of my favorite songs at the time, is that was a song that Bill Clinton uh, played in his two campaigns, um, 92 and 96. And that was the baby boomer generation song, even though it came out in 76, 7. It was a song for the, I mean, because it really did apply, I think, to that era. Yesterday's gone. It's like turning the page on yesterday. And even when I heard it, although I love the song, you kind of look at the Clintons and go, how can you just say, don't stop thinking about tomorrow? You shouldn't. I get it. You want to plan for tomorrow. But yesterday's gone. You can't really think about tomorrow without going back to yesterday and looking at where things went right and looking at where things went wrong and do more of the things that went right and do less of the things that went wrong so that the tomorrow can be better. Forgive me for being so forensic, but that's what has to be required. It goes back to what I said earlier about we have to become better critical thinkers, better thinkers. We've got to use more than the 3 or 8% of our brains. Is it 3% or 8%? We only use, I think, 8% of our brains. Or is it 3%? It's one of the... <laughs> I guess I'm only using 3% of my brain if I can't remember whether it's 3% of our brains or 8%. I think it's 8 We've got to be better critical thinkers. And so that's another thing that kind of popped up for me. That's why I kind of rattled through those theme songs, apropos of nothing, but apropos of something. And we've got to think about tomorrow. And we've got to think about today. And we've got to think about yesterday. These things are continuous. You don't just turn your back and forget what happened yesterday. I mean, if you had a bad day, you might want to forget. But if you did things that were good, you won't want to forget. And if great things happen to you, you won't want to forget. And if you did something that led to something really bad happening, I don't think you're going to forget that. You're going to want to be better. You're going to be, want to be better than that. You want to improve. It shouldn't be about settling. I don't think that life should be about just settling. I Look, I'm a proponent of relaxation. I'm a proponent of having lots of fun and um, really trying to find happiness in yourself before you try to look for an external source of it. Because if you do that, you will be forever up shit's creek. And all I'm saying, dear listener, is, is that we just have to be better thinkers, better people, more compassionate, wear a mask, get fully vaccinated. You know, things like that. Like that, right? I mean, these are the things. And the mask mandate here in San Francisco kicked in um, this morning at 12.01 a.m. and not a moment earlier. And how has San Francisco been faring? Well, in this part of San Francisco, more people wore their blue and masks. That's nice. But still, I'd say about 50% of people did not. It was 50-50. And they, they just have to learn the hard way. And again, don't confront people who are not wearing masks any more than you'd want them not to be confronting you, Right? because you're wearing one. If, again, I've said this many times before, you know you're supposed to wear a mask, 
They know they're supposed to wear a mask. You know they're supposed to wear a mask. They know they're supposed to wear a mask, right? So if they come up to you and they're not wearing one or they walk, don't do anything. Just ignore them. Ignore them. Don't point at them. Don't, you know, and, and the same for them. They shouldn't be pointing at you. Look, you have to teach a bunch of toddlers to get it right, you know? It's a big-ass country in the middle of a big-ass nowhere. Okay, we're on Earth, but you still... We're in, a, in the middle of big-ass nowhere, in the middle of, what, nine or eight planets? And we're behaving like freaking jackasses hopped up on bullshit. And we've got to be better. All of us. I do. You do. We all do. We've got to find those things that we can improve upon. And yes, there's some deep issues and problems and situations and challenges. And maybe trying to be a better person may not be your priority at this point. Because you're going through some hell right now. That requires some deeper focus elsewhere. So I am mindful of that. And we all have challenges that we have to go through. And try to find our way through. And try to be better at. And try to prevail. And then we really. If we really want this better world. We've got to start with better self. It's the whole man in the mirror theory. Excuse me for mentioning Mr. Jackson. Um, But he's right about that. He's right about that. He has another birthday coming up at the end of this month. He's been dead for over 11 years. In fact, he's been dead for over 12. It's just unbelievable. 12 years have passed by since Michael Jackson died. Whew, gosh. But man in the mirror, you know, really, or woman in the mirror or person in the mirror. You've really got to start doing that. And then we can start to change things. But we've got to vote. We've got to vote. And I'll be talking about Nina Turner um, in part uh, in the episode tomorrow. um, Because, of course, she ran for um, the 11th Congressional District uh, today in Ohio. And I'll be talking about that tomorrow. Results and and some of the other things that have been going on. So... I'm going to leave it here, but I do want to say thank you for bearing me with me and listening. I know some of this uh, was a very difficult listen um, because of the very graphic and detailed description of the violence that uh, Governor Cuomo, I'm going to stop calling him governor, the violence that Andrew Cuomo did. And at the same time, this guy is being lauded as a hero. Even I jumped in on this. Oh, yeah, he's been very good during this pandemic, not knowing that he'd been groping women. How dare he? You know, it makes me so angry. It really does. And, you know, you have to try to uh, channel your anger into something life-affirming and helpful to people and um, educating rather than, you know, spinning your wheels on the anger, which, you know, anger can be healthy, but it's got to be constructive and not volatile or dangerous or violent, right? That's, That's the challenge. Thank you again, and I really do appreciate you uh, for your time and your patience and your ear. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I am Omar Moore.